Whenever I voice call you, Matt, my phone calls you Mika Latos. My my call my phone calls you Junior. Oh, I hate that phone. Junior. I'm like, call Junior Foresteros. Calling <laughs> Junior. I can't figure out how to fix it so it can like I can tell it that's not right. Yeah, you have an Android, don't you? Yeah. You should be able to say, okay, Google. Call Junior Foresteros, J.R. Foresteros. And it'll go, okay, I'll remember that. No, it'll go, calling Junior. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try it. Or I've said, because I've said things like, okay, Google, Amanda Foresteros is my wife. And it'll say, do you want me to remember this relationship? So yes. Okay, then I can just say, hey, call my wife. Oh. Okay, try that. Let me try it real quick. It's, okay, Google. Matt Michelatis is the boss. And I just did a Google search for that. Did it find anything? <laughs> it brought up your website first, and then your Wikipedia page, <laughs> and then Amazon, and then a bunch of your books. That's good. Well, yeah. I guess that's pretty boss. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Story Med Podcast, episode 131. I am Clay Morgan. And I'm J.R. Foresteros. And Matt Michelatos will be along in a few minutes. We are the Story Men, and also podcast and blog over at NorvalRogers.com. Today, we have a very special guest returning to us, our friend Joshua Butler, talking about his new book, J.R. It's called The Pursuing God. It's a really good book. If you are a fan of his last book, Skeleton of the God's Closet, uh, you'll like this one as well. Uh, and and Josh does a great job, as he always does, with that. Uh, Josh is a pastor at Imago Day Church. He does missions and outreach and stuff there and does an awesome job. And you can just hear his passion for people in general, people who are far from God, people who are close to God, just people. Uh, in, in everything he does, it's in his books, and you'll hear it in the interview today. So we're really excited about the interview, and we want to just jump right into it, especially because Matt... Yeah, Josh has a lot of great anyway. stuff to say, so let's hear from him. So everybody say welcome to our good friend, Joshua Ryan Butler. Hey, Josh, welcome back. Hello, thanks, you guys. Good to be with you again. It seems like Skeletons in God's Closet just came out like five minutes ago. I know it's been two years, um, but still, you already have another book out. And here's here's I've I've been anxious to ask you this question because when we had you on the show for Skeletons, we yeah. asked you what you were working on next. You said, "Well, I'm kind of working on this book that's maybe like the Skeletons in the Church's Closet or something like that." And then obviously, this new book, The Pursuing God, is not that. So could you talk about where in the process of working on the next book that all shifted for you? 
Definitely. Yeah. You know, so I got into the process of, uh, you know, writing uh, this next, you know, one on church history, skeletons of the church's closet, something like that. It was looking at like Constantine, the Crusades, the Inquisition, wars of religion, uh, kind of going, if these are such significant parts of the church's story, uh, then has the church actually been good for the world? And if not, then did God really know what he was doing, kind of setting this thing in motion. Uh, but the premise would be kind of like skeletons that I, I think we often have a caricature of what was going on in those eras of church history. So trying to offer some paradigm shifts. And I dove in that uh, first you know year or so, I, I, especially during the summer, I took, uh, I took about six weeks off and just kind of dove into it. And I made some good headway, but I realized, man, I, I, I know history at one level, but I really need to, and I know the big ideas I want to hit, but I really wanted to dive in deeper and put more research, kind of time of research into it. And I just realized we had two young kids, uh, realized that the, looking at the next year ahead, uh, in order to do kind of the historical research, to do that one justice, it's like I kind of need to put that on pause and put it on the back burner. And, and there was another one I'd been wanting to write for a long time that was really just kind of about the heart of the faith to me. Uh, my own experience of uh, coming to faith, kind of encountering Christ was this one where, you know, I'd kind of uh, toyed with Christianity a bit and all, you know, but uh, this encounter with Jesus where he really said, you know, Josh, you've had this whole thing backwards. Like you thought this was about you coming out to find me. And I've been the one the whole time coming out to find you. And it just kind of was a paradigm shift that flipped, um, it just kind of flipped my understanding of what the gospel was all about on its head. And so I, I've kind of said, I think, you know, like uh, the, the first book skeletons falls like, you know, the, the kind of what I'd want to say to our culture, you know, some of the questions our culture has about the faith. Uh, this next book feels like what I want to say to my daughter, you know, kind of like the heart of the faith It's it's not written for kids per se, but it's, it, it's, it's that sense of like the heart of the faith, um, being able to try and express some of those deepest, uh, truths of the gospel for me. And, and within that, um, though I still like skeletons, you know, my, my biggest passion, I think is wanting to try and help people who wrestle with some of the tough topics of the faith. So in this one, I get into like sacrifice and wrath and atonement, uh, just kind of going, dude, I, I think those look weird for a lot of people, you know, sacrifice can feel like dude is God, a bloodthirsty carnivore who <laughs> kind of needs his pound of meat or something to, to be satisfied. Um, and you know, wrath, is God, uh, you know, just, you know, is, does his anger contradict his love? And and I, I want to look at both of those, just kind of go, you know, the, looking at the sacrificial system, reframing it. Uh, I think for a lot of people, it doesn't feel like God pursuing us. It feels like we got to go out and pursue God. Um, and so trying to reframe how we look at that of understanding what's going on there as a, as a part of the story of God's pursuit of us, as well as looking at God's wrath arising because of his anger. Uh, I'm sorry, because of his love for the world, not in spite of it or in contradiction to it. Um, and all that kind of climax in the heart of the book is really atonement or what's going on at the cross. And uh, I think the central caricature there is kind of, um, uh, you know, the cross, some would mock it as like divine child abuse, the father beating the son right, out of a son right. kind of thing, you know, and, and I really wanted to, uh, I think we have to be able to, I think it's not that for sure. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's ultimately the, the deepest expression and the climax of God's redemptive love for the world. Um, but I do think we have to be able to under, deal with themes like sacrifice and wrath that the New Testament points to. So uh, a lot of the heart of the book is trying to deal with some of those tough topics in a way that we see it as the the climax of God's redemptive love and not kind of a, a, a weird bystander, you know, that, that, yeah. that, that stands against that. Josh, when you said God's anger, you know, it was you misspoke, but you said God's anger rose up out of his wrath. I had a flashback to like, 
going to Christian school as a kid. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I was taught. Anger. Why is he angry? Because he's full of wrath. Why is he wrathful? Because of his anger. Also because you didn't do your devotional today. I was like, no. <laughs> you know um, what? I, oh, go ahead, Matt. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, um, Josh. One of the things, obviously, I know you relatively well, and like even this week, I was looking for some friends at a restaurant. I couldn't find them anywhere. I walk in and I'm like, oh, hey, there's Josh. <laughs> so, like I could find Josh, but not my other friends. So he actually point, he had seen them, so he pointed me in the right direction. But who was pursuing who, Matt? Yeah, I mean, yeah, really, it was it was a little confusing. But Josh, yeah. one of the things I really enjoy, like like right now, as you're talking, as you're kind of laying out the meat of the whole book, and there's a lot of stuff in what you're saying that I feel like some people might feel like it's going over their heads a little bit. Mm, yeah. I feel like in the book, you're pretty careful to stop and like you're giving us little stories, almost poetic vignettes, like little things that are telling us uh, this is what it's like. Mm. So how do you balance the intellectual and theological rigor, which I know you take very seriously with the Mm. communication side to us average folk who don't have the big brain? (laughs) <laughs> well yeah yeah first uh, yeah i i am sort of a i, I guess i i probably i'll call myself a theology nerd you know like my my wife makes fun of me because we we go on vacation and i take like the big 800 page tome or whatever you know and so i i can be a real dork when it comes to like and i just enjoy that stuff you know um but i've i, I found you know uh, as a pastor that you know 98 plus percent of the people in our church body don't uh, they, 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 you know, they're, they're not as weird as, you know, so they don't, and they shouldn't have to read all those. And yet I found, I think the the concepts in those are really, uh, often powerful. People who've really kind of wrestled with who is God and the depths of theology can be really powerful. Uh, and I do think it kind of hits pavement in terms of meeting the concrete realities of life. So, um, I, if there's a, a place that I'd love to kind of, find myself in it's i'm not necessarily a guy coming up with all the ideas or whatever but wanting to try and translate some of the best and the the heart of what i found in both the depths of the christian theological tradition as well as uh people today who are kind of really thinking through that and and try and make it accessible for um for the whole of us you know kind of go what does this mean how does this sort of meet the practical realities of life today for those of us who are wanting to follow Jesus and, and put him first in our lives. So, yeah, so I, I definitely, uh, usually it starts for me, I've got kind of the big idea for the book as a whole, and then the ideas for the chapters, but a lot of the work for me is more trying to just break down and uh, even grapple with myself. What, what, how does this connect in my own life, in the life of my family, in the life of our church, in the life of people that I, I know and love? And so one of the things I was really excited about in this book was getting to actually share a lot of stories of um, uh, people within our church bodies, some of our international partners, you know, like uh, Vietnamese and Cambodian leaders and others in other parts of the world that um, are just living this out. And it it was exciting to get to kind of share a a lot of, I I think, really powerful and inspiring stories that have impacted me of ways that I'm seeing uh, people live into the reality of God's pursuit of our world. And a little more, you know, I think in skeletons, it was a little more like I would have stories like that. They were a little more like a a metaphor or something to explain the idea and here there's sort of the actual hands and feet of the idea on the ground if that makes sense it's, it's less a sort of an Ill, uh, a metaphor and more of an actual illustration of um what god's pursuit of us means and looks like 
Yeah. Uh, you know, another question I have about the writing process before we really get into too much of the content, and we have a lot of authors and uh, aspiring authors who, who listen to the show. So what I'm curious about is, you know, when I first saw the cover of the new book and kind of first looked at the, you know, the back matter, so to speak, like the, what is this book about? I thought, wow, this is, it seems like a totally different book than skeletons. Whereas in skeletons, you were like, okay, here are three big skeletons. And we're going to basically devote a third of the book to looking at each of them. Uh, and in this book, I thought, wow, it's like, you have this more of this idea, you know, this God who pursues us and you run it through. But then when I got into it, I saw that you're really doing the same kind of thing. And you've already mentioned that, right? You're taking mm -hmm. wrath, you're taking sacrificial system, you're taking atonement and, and making, helping us see how these are actually, um, invitations into the love of God, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing you did with hell judgment and genocide and skeletons. So I, I guess I just, I, all of that to say, I marveled that. Uh, if you'll pardon the pun, the bones of both books were really the same, mm. but you did. It didn't seem like when you were writing the pursuing God, you felt shackled to the formula that worked so well for you in the first book. So, could you talk a little bit about how you found the freedom when you were writing to let this new book be what it needed to be? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, so part of it was, uh, you know, in the writing process, I you know trying to think through for myself, you know, how have I seen, you know, the God's pursuit show up in my life and, and, and it, where do I, how do I see it in scripture, but also kind of trying to go, I, I, I don't know, my own writing process, I'll, I'll often try and look at what's the idea I want to communicate and then think of what is like almost the exact antithesis or opposite of that idea, you know? And what's funny is I often find, oh, that's actually something that a lot of people seem to think Christianity is about. Like we often associate Christianity almost with the antithesis than the reality, if that makes sense. So, um, and so uh, the format in this one, uh, every you know, every few chapters is trying to unpack kind of it's opening with like a caricature that I think we have in the church today, um, and then trying to show how the gospel actually confronts that caricature and, and reveals almost the opposite. So one of the early ones is this idea that you know I think the caricature is that God can't stand the presence of sin. I think I've heard that numerous times over the years. Kind of this picture of we mess up, we make a mistake, and God gets angry or he's afraid of getting, you know, God gets taken, he's afraid of getting tainted or, you know, he's afraid of, of sin. And so God's the one backing away. And so we have to go kind of pursue God, clean ourselves up. And the more I dove into the biblical story, just kind of going, no, dude, it looks like it works the other direction. It's actually sin that can't stand to be in the presence of God. Whenever sin enters the world, we're the ones running and God's the one pursuing and coming after us. So, uh, you know, kind of unpack and, and run after that. But in the uh, in the writing process, I, I did kind of grapple with how to frame my, my the one of the initial titles I pitched to the publisher was very different. It was something like a, a dirty, irrational, reckless, obsessed, self-destructive God that 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 who wants to be your roommate or something out of that. Yeah. <laughs> and and they, they didn't go for that probably wisely, but but uh, but there was kind of a process for me of. Um, you know, of trying to disentangle myself from, uh, I think when I started, I, I did kind of have more, you know, the, the maybe you might call the formula or the way of the structure of skeleton, so to speak, in mind, and really had to kind of, for myself, sort of dismantle that to kind of create freedom or the space <laughs> to, to let this be something different. And what I ended up doing um, 
was modeling it on the life of Christ. So the book's broken into three sections, incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. And, um, and everything in between kind of, you know, and so uh, the book kind of uses those three movements to center the book on the reality of who Christ is and what he's done, you know, um, and yet through that grid to run a lot of these themes, like trying to understand how does God relate to sin? How does God, uh, what, what, what is, you know, God's relationship or role in relation to sacrifice and um, with the church and kind of the resurrection section and some of those. So, mm-hmm. uh, and in the, I initially had 12 chapters and the publisher was like, uh, these feel long, you know, like they were about the same size as skeletons, but they, they had some wise feedback of going, you know, um, uh, particularly, you know, in, in our, our culture today, we're more accustomed to blog posts. And also we ended up breaking every chapter into like three or so smaller chapters. So, the book ended up being kind of 36 kind of tight, punchy chapters, um, which was a lot of fun too. It, re, it ended up reworking the whole, some of the shape and feel and flow of the chapters as well. Um, and it was a lot of fun because I, I think too that gave, uh, thankful to the publisher for that, the editor, but that, that gave some freedom and permission too to kind of, in a whole other way, break up, have the flow of the book feel very different from Skeletons as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it reads really fast. I was really impressed by that. Nice. Josh, there's a lot of people that talk today about being spiritual seekers or exploring faith or looking for God or seeking a sign. We're, we're always, we're always trying to find the answers and your opening line of the book is that this is not a book about our pursuit of God. It's about God's pursuit of us. Um, both for the person who, who maybe that would be like kind of Christianese to them, like pursuing Mm -hmm. God, but also to what you're attempting to do with this book. What do you mean? Yeah, great question. Uh, I'm still not sure. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, big picture, you know, I'd say there's a couple different levels to it. Um, one in the book is just trying to go. This is the biblical story. You know, uh, I think in more high, you know, in, in theological language, or people are going to talk about God's mission or the mission of God and. Um, I love uh, uh, Christopher J. Tride as a theologian. I love he talks about how, you know, that God doesn't have a mission for the church in the world. Uh, you know, God has uh, God's, what is it? God's church doesn't have a mission in the world. God's mission has a church in the world kind of thing, you know, and, and just the reality that God and his very nature is, um, is pursuing and embracing love as father, son, and spirit. So in, in the book, uh, at the biggest level, it's trying to go, this is the, the, the biblical story is not a story about we messed up, God ran away, and we need to go find him. The biblical story is a story of, um, at its root, its very nature, sin is our wanting independence and distance from God. Uh, and the reality of the, the story is, is one where God continually comes after us. Um, for reconciliation and, and redemption. So, uh, so at that level, it's trying to reframe how, you know, how many of us I think look at the story of the Bible as a whole and not by avoiding the tough topics, you know, uh, the ones where it doesn't feel that way, but actually pressing into them. Uh, how does the Bible approach things like sin and the law and sacrifice and rally, you know, a lot of those areas that I think when most of us think of those topics, we tend to go, we kind of ch- click off of, you know, we'll hear the prodigal son story and go, okay, yeah, that's about God coming after me. But then we'll read about the law on Mount Sinai and go, that's about us performing for God, you know? And so trying to reframe some of the, those tough topics uh, so that we kind of see a healthy, robust vision of this is God in Christ pursuing his world. 
Um, but on a more intimate, personal level, uh, you know, to, to maybe tie it into a little of my own story, I had, you know, I, I went through in college my freshman year, kind of the season of trying to pursue God. I actually made a video with a friend that I'm planning to release tomorrow. It's kind of five minutes on my own my own coming to faith story related to this. But, um, but one of the things that was really helpful was in in my year of pursuing God or whatever, I was you know going to Bible studies. I was in a church on Sunday. I was uh, helping lead worship. I was a six a.m. prayer gathering every week. I was helping share my faith on campus. I had all this activity, the stuff I was doing, and it was almost like the more I did to try and try out this Christianity thing and go after God, the more empty I felt and disillusioned I felt. And um, and part of the, the the encounter with Christ was a letting go of all that and receiving his pursuit of me. And part of what that looked like in my own life was the simplicity of uh, what I would call word and sacrament. Of um, I, I had a season after that where my quote-unquote spiritual activities or whatever were more uh, coming to church on Sunday, kind of sitting in the back, sitting under the proclamation of the word and receiving that and receiving the sacraments. And, uh, and there is a slow formation uh, that I began to, I think, encounter God's pursuit of me through the word and through the sacrament, you know? And so, um, and that began to shape and form me over the years into, I'd say, a different kind of person. And and, uh, and since then, there's a lot of stuff that's flowed out of uh, my life, you know, I think of receiving God's pursuit in my life. Um, and I, I talk in one of the later chapters about how, you know, the church is not a bunch of individuals pursuing God together. The church is a body of people through whom God pursues the world. And I think as we receive God's pursuit of us, we get caught up in it and we, we join him. And that's where a lot of the really exciting stuff takes place. But, uh, but I guess on those three levels, kind of trying to reframe how we look at many, much of the, the story of the Bible as a whole to see that that story is the story of God's pursuit of us, reframing how we look at quote unquote spiritual practices like, uh, church, you know, to see uh, the simplicity of things like word and sacrament as, as places where we come under uh, the receiving of God's pursuit of us for our formation, and then looking at um, how we get caught up in that and join God in, in his pursuit of the world by laying down our lives and sacrificial love for our neighbors and uh, the world as a whole. Josh, let me, let me ask you, like, one of the things you're talking about is this idea that like earlier you said, uh, this teaching about how when we sin, it kind of creates this barrier and God runs away, like this kind of thing. Can you talk to me a little bit about this idea? Like sometimes we get the impression that people talk about sin like oh, our sin, we're like, like our righteousness is like filthy rags, which is from scripture, right? But mm-hmm. this idea that we're so filthy and dirty that God can't come close to us. He can't like pick us up or hug us because he'll get filth on him. Like mm-hmm. Jesus is afraid to get dirty, right? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the questions that gets thrown around in the midst of that is whether or not Jesus could have sinned. Like mm-hmm. I've heard people say, well, Jesus, like literally I've been taught this at different times. Jesus couldn't have sinned because if God does something, it's not sin. Like the, those, those two circles don't ever intersect. So let me just ask you, like, do, do you think it was possible for Jesus to sin? Like, could he have sinned uh, when, when he was incarnated? God, when God became a human being? What does that mean? 
Great question. So, uh, yeah, so actually I, I talk about it in the book in the context of um, Jesus's wilderness temptation, you know, and, uh, and I've, I've, I think I've heard a lot of folks, you know, Jesus is tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, he's in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. He's hungry. He, he gets tempted. And, and, uh, and I think I've heard a lot of folks kind of talk about that, that story as sort of a, um, Jesus is showing us how we can beat temptation too, you know? Uh, but I think in reality that that story is pointing to, uh, it's drawing on imagery of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years in the Old Testament. And uh, Jesus kind of keeps quoting Deuteronomy, he keeps quoting uh, areas where Israel failed uh, each temptation and he is succeeding kind of where Israel failed, where we fail in our temptation. And, and, and in that process of seeing how Jesus is living the life that we were we were made for, but we seem to um, uh, run from God and 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 not trust it and all that where, where Jesus does. Uh, but what I, I get into that in the whole idea of you know um, could Jesus have sinned? Uh, I think it all depends on what we mean by could have. Um, I think if we mean uh, did Jesus truly have the opportunity presented to him to sin, kind of from the outside in, uh, then I think, yes, totally, full on, mm-hmm. Jesus uh, Jesus had the opportunity to sin. Uh, if we're talking about the external circumstances around him, he definitely could have. Um, he could have turned the stones to bread. He could have bound down to Satan. He could have, you know, he had the, those opportunities truly presented to him and with force. I mean, he was, he truly hungered. He truly suffered. He truly felt the weight and force of our humanity. But I think if we mean, would Jesus have sinned? Uh, my uh, my answer would be no. I, I don't believe Jesus would have sinned. Um, not because he was kind of being forced from the outside in by some crazy vision of, I don't know, divine sovereignty or something, but it wasn't because of something on the outside, but because of who Jesus is on the inside. That um, I think Jesus' temptation is, is a scene that uh, the church historically, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant has looked to, and uh, it's, it's almost a picture of uh, the wilderness temptation is pulling back Jesus's rib cage and revealing what's on the inside, his heart, uh, that Jesus actually would not have rebelled against the father because he loves the father, uh, that he is, um, that he, uh, man, that Jesus is, it, the reason that Jesus would not have sinned is because of love, that, that his character, his personhood, uh, the orientation of his heart and desires is towards and for uh, the Father and that which is good and true and right. So, um, yeah. So I, I I would agree and say you know I don't think that it's um, just because well Jesus could have sinned but it wouldn't have been sin because he's God. <laughs> like like I I I I, I I I don't like that line. Of, I wouldn't buy that line. Of <laughs> well, and isn't it uh isn't it important to note that if we're saying Jesus is fully human and fully God, obviously, but if he's fully human, then like when, when Satan said, turn those stones into bread, like his stomach growled, yes. right? Like he, like he had all of the physical urges that we have as humans. And so he was, he was able to be tempted mm. the way we are able to be tempted that like, if not, then yeah, it, it takes something away from me from what Christ actually accomplished. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the the and I think at the end of the day, you know, like the difference that I'd you know I'd see between kind of Matt, what you brought up that a lot of us have heard maybe over the years, but the reason that Jesus would not have sinned is love, not force. If that makes sense, you know, it's 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 because of the the affections of his heart for the Father and for that which is good and right and true. 
Um, not because he has the force and power to just kind of do whatever he wants and it won't be sin because he did it, you know, like that, that it's, uh, yeah. And so, I, oh, you know, go, ahead. Go, ahead. go ahead. Well, so I was going to ask one of the things when this conversation comes up, uh, and, and, and we, you know, we pastor type people have to say, uh, no, Jesus, because Jesus was fully God and fully human, uh, he, he didn't sin. People often say, well, it sounds like God's cheating. Yeah. Right. Like it sounds like it's it basically, again, it sort of sounds like uh, Jesus is us plus superpowers. And yes. so that's why he had like special Jesus magic. And that's why he was able to experience everything we experience and yet ha- not have sin. So is that true? Like, is God unfair? Yeah, I wouldn't sin if I had super Jesus powers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, totally. Like, how is that fair? Like, of course, like to, to err is human. Like we just, we naturally, we make mistakes, we mess up, whatever. But if Jesus couldn't have sinned, like, does that make him some superhero on, I don't know, he had steroids or athlete using steroids or something, you know, like where he has that kind of superhuman advantage. And, uh, and I, and I'd say no, you know, I can talk about the book, how, um, that, uh, you know, I think we have a, distorted understanding thought you know definition of sin sometimes where we think that like to sin is human but i think actually sin cuts against the grain of our humanity you know that that sin actually is um it's it, it makes us less human not more it, it kind of degrades and, and distances ourselves from the full humanity that we we're made for and so uh there's a quote in the book here but you know talk about like, by not sinning uh, jesus is more human than we are He's less like an athlete using steroids and more like an athlete who never ate Twinkies. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's less like an adult competing against kindergartners and more like an adult who actually trained because she enjoys the sport. While we sat around all year watching TV, eating potato chips, and didn't even bother to show up to the race, uh, Jesus doesn't use a superhuman advantage to win. He refuses the inhumanity we all participate in. You can't get Jesus, Jesus dirty. He can only make you clean. Uh, end quote. That's fantastic. I just think that's such an important because, like you, you even dropped the the line earlier, right? To err is human. Like that's what we think. Uh, that's been ingrained in us for so long. That's probably one of those quotes, like God only helps those that helps themselves, that mm. is not in the Bible, but everyone just assumes it is because mm. it sounds. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah, right. And, and yet, and yeah, when you say when you reframe that in this book and you say no, we have to understand what sin does is actually diminish our humanity. It it steals that away from us. And and what Jesus wants to do is not. Uh, and this again, this goes back to echoing even the work you did in skeletons, right? Um, Jesus is not trying to transport us somewhere else and make us magical superhuman. Jesus is actually trying to restore our humanity to us that we might be the people that God originally intended us to be. Mm, like that, yeah. I think that's powerful. Totally. There's a great quote I love Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, in like the uh, second century, but he talks about uh, you know the, the glory of God is man fully alive. You know that that what brings God glory, the way that God is glorified, is our humanity brought into the fullness of our humanity. And so it's not a, a diminishing of making us less you know less human. It, it should actually be. So I think of uh, you know. My buddy's a musician and loves playing drums, or a, a friend who she makes the most amazing crafts, and you know, and, a, and, a, and a, another friend who you know works for a, a significant company in town that's bringing a lot of creative entrepreneurial stuff into the world, and just going like, following Christ shouldn't 
diminish or kind of pull them away from it. it should bring fresh vigor into the kind of fullness of their humanity as they strive to bring life and justice and beauty and th- you know the good good things into the world um that yeah ideally sin should make us more he- or i mean uh, jesus <laughs> i'm just full of misquoting myself yeah that jesus makes us uh more human not less it's kind Josh. of cool uh, we have a couple minutes left. So for for someone who might be listening to this, who maybe they don't have any difficulty uh, knowing what it's like to feel dirty, or maybe they've never felt the pursuit of God, or maybe they're wondering if God would even pursue them. Um, could you just kind of wrap us up with a thought on, does God pursue everybody? Absolutely. Does he ever stop pursuing us? What What do you think about questions that someone might ask like this? Uh, you know, maybe one idea there, you know, that I, I, I kind of explore in the book too is just the whole language of uh, lost, you know, where I think a lot of folks, when we hear the word lost, it, it's kind of become Christianese. And I think for a lot of it, it can sound kind of arrogant or condescending as sort of like the lost or like those misfits who are all messed up and they need to get their act together right. and go stop being lost and go find God, you know? And one of the things I explore is in Jesus's, the way that Jesus uses the word lost actually runs in the opposite direction. Uh, lost doesn't mean you need to go find God. Lost means God's coming to find you. And so Jesus uses, you know, kind of the stories about this, uh, uh, the sheep, uh, the lost sheep who wanders away from the flock, the lost coin, and the woman who's up all night tearing the house apart trying to find it, and the lost son, ultimately the famous parable of the prodigal son. Um, and in all those scenarios, the emphasis is on the pursuit, the God's coming after. You know, so I, I feel like almost like the first step is that recognition of even recognizing our distance from God or feeling the weight of our alienation. I, I found that that's often. Um, rather than being, um, I don't know, I just got to get away from it. You know, like, like it's, it, it, I think it's often in kind of acknowledging and, and bringing that to God, the reality of prayer that we can cry out to God and he hears and just go, man, I feel alienated. I feel distant. I feel lost. And I, I think as we press into the gospel story, you know, I believe as we, 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 our, our vision of who God is gets reframed as, uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, God, an eternal communion of love who um, comes after us in our distance, even our, our self-imposed distance, you know, that he He comes after us rather than kind of backing away. And um, maybe kind of a final, there's, there's a chapter where we, we hear a lot like, Jesus is the only way to God. I've heard a lot, you know, I think when people hear that, they think Jesus is the one and only way, the one religion, you know, we need to run out into the universe and find God through Jesus. But uh, explore as well how that it's it's not about you look in context and Jesus I would say is not the one and only way we go out into the universe to find God Jesus is the unique and decisive way that God has come to us and so I think there's freedom if we do feel distant from God to uh, to approach Christ to to come gather around the Word and feed off the sacrament and, and enter into life uh, with Christ and His people and come under the story that kind of reframes. Uh, who who we understand the creator of our world. Nice. That's fantastic. Okay, we, we're about out of time, Josh. Uh, obviously, we're going to put links in the show notes at stormin.us for how to find uh, the book in, in case 
you don't know how to get a book, but you know, it's at Amazon. It's, it's all the places books are sold. Uh, how can people connect with you online? Where, where are the best places to find what you're doing? Definitely. Yeah. So I've got a website. It's just my full name, uh, Joshua Ryan Butler.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Butler, Josh, uh, Facebook, Joshua Ryan Butler. Um, so definitely uh, come, come find me online. It'd be fun to uh, interact and say hey <laughs> awesome well the book is fantastic for all of our listeners who read skeletons in god god's closet and enjoyed it uh I, you're gonna enjoy this one as well there's actually uh we uh josh i think you know we did skeletons in a book club at uh my church and uh one of my one of the people in that book club who profoundly enjoyed the book has already been, I think she's further through pursuing God than I am at this point already. And I, I, I told her we were going to be interviewing you. And I said, any questions for him? She goes, no, just, just tell him I love the book. It's, it's great. Oh, that's awesome. that's really <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's just a wonderful book. Uh, again, I, I assume most of our listeners got a chance to, to check out skeletons. And so uh, we just want to say thanks again. And by way of doing a giveaway, um, we want to, we usually ask a question for the listeners. So I think, uh, one thing we'd want people to answer is, uh, if they could share a time where they have sensed that God was pursuing you, hmm. uh, what, what is a time in your life that you really felt like God was pursuing you? You can leave that in the comments at storymen.us. That's also where you can find the information about the giveaway or at facebook.com slash the So, uh, we will, Definitely have Josh back. Obviously, we love having him on. And you have another book coming out, what, like in two weeks? Is that is that about right? Or how long? <laughs> another 10 minutes. That's yeah. what his publisher yeah, every wants. 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I have, have you decided what you're working on next? I know just from, you know, when we were emailing back and forth scheduling the show, life has been pretty crazy for you in great ways. But yeah. do, you, do you have any idea what your next project is? Yeah, you know, definitely. I, I do think, you know, I've got a couple in mind, but the, the church history is is probably next on the docket. And so uh, I'm, I'm planning on currently sort of pressing pause. And, and uh, I, I, I think for this one, I don't necessarily want to put myself under the, the pressure of a deadline. And, and, uh, and but I, I'm kind of self-motivated to jump into it and dive into it. So I, I imagine there is a lot coming out this year, but probably this year I'm going to uh, be researching and reading and all that. And then, uh, just trying to spend a year to, I, I know the big concepts I really want to dive in and just, it, it's, it's, a uh, yeah, a lot of reading to do and stuff. And then next year I'll probably, um, really hammer down and, and, and look at writing, writing again. And I'll, in the awesome. meantime, doing online stuff and things like that, you know? Well, uh, again, we just want to say thanks, uh, Josh. And uh, listeners, please make sure you enter the giveaway because you definitely want a copy of this book. If you can wait a whole week before rushing out and buying it to have your chance of winning a free one, that is, of course. So uh, thanks, Josh. Thanks to our listeners. Uh, we'll be back next week with another great episode. In the meantime, be well and enjoy Josh's new book. Thanks so much, you guys. This is a song about the three-story men. Life is a story we're all living in So now that you know the story you're in Just sit back and listen to the three-story Sometimes there's a man Rather, sometimes there's some men, and I'm talking about the story men here. 